Well, one of the joys of uh, being your pastor is to be able to see and remind you of the ways in which God is working. I'm not sure how your weeks go, but I, I feel like I oscillate like crazy where one day it's great and another day I'm discouraged and, and I don't know what Sunday is like for you. It's, it can be either or for me. And so as we come in here, I, I want to continue to remind us of the ways in which God is working among us. And one of the ways I've seen, and one of the ways I saw all of us corporately, was last week's Sunday. Last week's Sunday was just an incredible opportunity for me to look out and see people talking to one another, fellowshipping, encouraging each other. I saw some of you talk to people you don't normally talk with or tell people things that that might be a little bit more personal going on in your life. We had talked about it just at the beginning of the sermon last week, and, and by the end, you guys were already doing it. And I want to continue to encourage you in that. That was good. And I'm proud of you for doing that. And I want to continue to, as much as we can, you know, obviously be safe with COVID, but continue to encourage us to do just that. Just hang out afterwards and talk as much as we can so that we can encourage each other in the Lord. And so let me pray. Let me pray for our time again. But let let me just praise God for your willingness to step forward last week and just engage one another in conversation. So let me pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, last week you showed us in your word that, that we should be a church that fellowships together, that we should be a church that loves one another. I thank you for the men and women here that that's what they did last week. They longed to be in relationship with others. They, they cared about others. They shared things that were going on in their lives. I thank you for that. And I pray that you'd continue to do that work in them and in us as a church, Father. I pray now as we turn our attention back to your word, Lord, may we be willing, eager, ready to hear from you this morning. May we come hungry because you have the words of eternal life. And so, Father, help us this morning. I pray in your son's name. Amen. If you have your Bible, go and grab it and turn with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. 1 John 4, 1 to 5. We're continuing on in our series entitled, What's Love Got to Do With It? Because there's a mantra out there. Uh, really, it's kind of something that our culture is talking about, which is this idea of love. And what, if we're not careful, we can have what C.S. Lewis, he's a British uh, medieval uh, professor, what he said back in the 50s and 60s, if we're not careful, we can have theological or we can have, uh, what's the word for timeline? Uh, my mind went blank. We can have chronological snob- snobbery. What can happen is, is that we can think our day and age is better than any other day and age And we can think that we have knowledge when nobody else in history of the world seemed to have knowledge. And C.S. Lewis just says that's chronological snobbery, where we think that we are better than thousands of years of human history. And so we've got to get an 
a good grip on what love is because our, our culture in, in many ways is acting like that, that they've somehow figured out love. And what we actually have to do is go back to God's word that is abiding for 2,000 years plus and get a good sense about what love actually is. Is. And so we've been looking through the book of 1 John, and we saw the first week that, that John has seen this with his own eyes, and now he's proclaiming to you and I because he wants us to have fellowship with one another. And he wants us to have fellowship with God. And then he tells us that fellowship with God is either hindered or, uh, or it goes well based upon how you see sin. Do you recognize sin in your life and confess that? Then it's going to go well in your relationship with God and others. Or do you see sin and act like it doesn't exist? Then it's not going to go well. Then from there, John's been challenging us to actually confess our sin and to uh, rid ourselves of the ways of the world so that we can actually love the things of the Father instead. In the last two weeks, we've seen that the things of the Father are that we actually fulfill what He's called us to, that we actually obey Him, and the primary way that we obey Him is loving one another. Now today, John's going to take a, a really kind of a, an odd turn that I think is needful for us. And so we're going we're to look at that this morning. When I was in college years ago now, it's kind of crazy how long ago for me it was, but when I was in college, I remember in a class, uh, one of my professors began to talk about bank tellers. And he asked this question, do you know how bank tellers can tell the difference between a counterfeit $100 bill and a real $100 bill? Ever thought about that before? Like, how do they know just right away if it's real or not? I mean, yeah, you got that little strip in there, you got the watermark but you can manufacture those all day long. How do they know the difference? He said this, when a bank hires a bank teller, they send them to a class for a week. I don't know if they still do this, but they used to. They would send them to a class for a week. And guess what they taught them? They taught them the real thing. Because if you know the real thing, you can detect every sort of counterfeit that's out there. So notice what he didn't say. They don't learn all the different counterfeits because that's too massive and there's constantly new ones every day. He said, no, they learn the real thing. And when you know the real thing, that protects you against counterfeits. And John's going to take that same idea today and call us to know the real thing. Because if we know the real thing, if we know who Jesus Christ is, if we know who the Father is, if we actually know who the Holy Spirit is, the Godhead, and we understand clearly, we can see any counterfeits that are out there. And that's going to be massive. Because there are a ton of counterfeits out there, both in our valley in our nation, on TV, whatever. There are tons of counterfeits out there. And so we've got to know the real thing so that we don't get caught up in falsehood. In fact, John's main point this morning is going to be that faith in the Father and the Son frees us 
from fear of falsehood. Faith in the Father and the Son frees us from this worry or this concern that we might be duped by false teachers. And so John's just going to tell us, hey, look at Jesus and know him. And so with that, let's go ahead and read our passage this morning. And because we love God's word and we want to honor him, would you stand with me as we read this passage this morning? 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Sorry, 1 to 6. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of of error. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. So as I said, this is kind of an odd turn, right? So John's been talking about love, 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 love. Talk about the spirits. Seems really weird for us, but if you go back to the end of chapter 3, verse 24, John made a declaration where he said that we know that God abides in us when we keep his commandments. So when we keep the commandment to love God, when we obey him there, we know God is in us. And then John makes an offhand comment that you know God is in you because the Holy Spirit is in you. And now John, just for a short time before he gets back into the idea of love, he wants to clarify how we know it is the Holy Spirit leading us and whether it's another spirit or, well, I like to say, how do we know it's the Holy Spirit guiding us or the bad burrito that we had last week, right? And so John wants us to clarify this, and it's incredibly important because what we're going to see next week is that perfect love casts out fear. And if we don't know the truth about the Holy Spirit, or we don't know truth about what if a spirit is from God or not, that can create a lot of fear, and that can lead us to no longer love others, but be focused on ourselves. And so John says this is massive for us. And for us to get it, and for us to understand how do we decipher between truth and error, he actually gives us three steps. So let's go ahead and look at the steps. The first step that he gives us is the test. John wants us 
to test. That's a little bit odd for us, right? Because in our, in our culture, we're told to just receive without thinking. I, I remember being in Germany uh, years ago uh, as a campus minister there, and I was talking with students, and they said a bad student is one that never questions. The best student is the one that challenges the teacher on everything. I'm like, whoa, that, that's, that flies in the face of my American culture. I'm asking, well, well, why is that? They said, because we once had a teacher, and he led us to do very evil things. He led us to exterminate six million Jews. So now we challenge everyone who teaches or leads. Whoa. I think John is wanting us to, in some ways, do the same. That there are teachers that can lead us to do very bad things. And it would be better if we test. So look with me at verse 1. He starts in verse 1 by saying, beloved. It's almost as if he's saying, hey, if you're still in the church at this time, you're sons and daughters of Christ. I love you. I care for you. But then he goes on and he tells us, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, some of us, this is easy, right? Some of us are skeptical by nature. You know, it doesn't matter what is said, we are immediately wondering, does that line up? And some of us aren't, though. Some of us actually think skepticism is a sin. And it seems like John is saying it's not, if used rightly, if used for the appropriate purpose. And the appropriate purpose is to decipher, to understand what is coming from God. And John wants us to do this when it comes to spirits. Now, notice he didn't say spirit. He said spirits. One of the things that we don't realize uh, often is that there is a demonic world that is out there. You know, we live our physical present lives and we don't realize that there is a, there is a holy world in which God and angels are operating and there is a demonic world in which demons are operating. And what's tricky about it is do you remember the name that Satan is given in the Bible? One of his names is that he is the father of lies. So what's tricky is if you go back to Genesis 3, what you will see there is that Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they are enjoying the fruits of what God has given them, and as they're enjoying those fruits, Satan comes along and he says, he does, notice what he says, he doesn't flat out go against God at first. He says, did God really say that you can't eat from that? He just kind of puts a seed of doubt there. And then when the woman begins to take that doubt, he goes full on and attacks God's character and God's words. You see, Satan is very tricky. He knows us, he understands, and he states things in such a way that they seem true, and so we begin to nibble on it, and there's nothing there. It's rotten on the inside. 
And so John wants us to test the spirits because there's no neutral spirits. They're either for God or they're for Satan. And he doesn't want us to get caught up into something that sounds right, sounds true, but will lead to a life of destruction and evil. And this is massive, church. This is massive. I've lived a number of different places, and for some reason in our valley here, there is a heightened desire for spirits. There is a heightened desire for ghosts, for the demonic. there's There's just a heightened desire to figure out these things that are out there. And this is incredibly important for us to understand because if the Spirit is not pointing back to Jesus, it's a demonic spirit, and we need to be aware of that. So this is massive for us. We have to be careful what we get ourselves into or what we buy into. But then John says it's not just the spirits. He also says that false prophets have gone out into the world. False prophets are people who act like they're speaking on behalf of God and they're actually speaking on behalf of themselves. They act like they love you. They act like they're pointing you back to God. And at the center of it all is just a focus on themselves. And that's key for us because when we think about what what people often talk about spirits or when we think about the Holy Spirit, so many times we hear people talk in a way as if they are better because they have more of the Holy Spirit or they want to get more of the Holy Spirit or their whole conversation, maybe even some of us, our, our whole conversation is around the Holy Spirit. False prophets will, will do that. There's guys on TV who, who are focused on the Holy Spirit. And that's just odd. It's odd because if you look at John 14, 26, Jesus said, I will send you a helper and the helper will remind you of what I have taught. The helper is not coming for the helper's sake. The helper is coming so that you love Jesus more. You understand that? Or in Acts 1 8, when the Holy Spirit does come, Jesus actually says before that, He says, The Holy Spirit's going to come on you and He's going to empower you to witness about Jesus. So any talk of the Holy Spirit uh, separated from a desire to exalt Jesus Christ is not from God. The Holy Spirit's role is to remind us of who God is. And so we've got to be careful that when we long for the Spirit, that we are actually longing for more of Jesus by the Spirit's power. And John's just saying we need to be aware because other people don't do this. Well, how do you know? Look at verses 2 and 3. He says, this is how you know if a spirit's from God or if a spirit's from something else. A spirit from God is going to believe in and confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God. Again, 
If the Spirit's all about Jesus, all about the fact that God came to rescue us from sin, He died to pay for our sin, He rose from the dead. If that is what's being talked about, that comes from God. But notice what He says. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. We always think about the Antichrist being something in the future. And the man who wrote about the Antichrist in the future, that we always think, wrote Revelation. You know who wrote Revelation? John. The same guy writing this. So he's saying that same spirit, that same mentality, that same drive of uh, whatever you believe the end times will be, that same drive is actually happening and it's in the world now. It's a drive to exalt ourselves above Jesus Christ. And every spirit that is not from God is going to be about exalting yourself uh, being about encouraging what, or trying to lift up, whatever it is, all about trusting in yourself and not in Jesus Christ. And church, this is rampant. This is rampant. I've, I've heard people get prophecies that are all about how cool they're going to be or their kids are going to be in about 10 years. Bible has no framework for that. A prophecy is going to point back to Jesus and it be exalting Jesus Christ. There are a slew of pastors for your own sake. There are a slew of pastors. T.D. Jakes, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Creflo Dollar, Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, who are all about the Spirit so that the Spirit puffs themselves up and puffs their own ministry up rather than about Jesus Christ. And I mention those names to help you to stay away from their teaching because their teaching is going to lead you away from Jesus Christ. And John says we've got to be careful We've got a test. Well, how do we test? How do we, how do we figure this out? Well, if you go to Acts 17, it's, it's really awesome. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, the Apostle Paul, like if he walked into our church right now, like I'd be off the stage in a heartbeat. He'd be coming up here. He'd be speaking. And I, and I began to wonder, like, why, why is that? Because 2,000 years has allowed us to begin to think of the Apostle Paul and kind of revere him. But that's not the view that we get of him in the Bible because the early churches, the ones that he started, would rebel against him and think, who are you? And it's interesting in that because we see that play out in Acts 17. He is, uh, the Apostle Paul's in Berea, and he's teaching the Bereans, and as he's teaching them, they're saying, whoa, time out, time out. Would you, okay, okay, let me write that down. Hold on, let me check. Oh, yep, what you said is true according to the Bible. Keep going. Oh, hold on, hold on. Let me see if that's true. Oh, yeah, yep, keep going. We're going to listen. 
It says that they studied their Bible to see if what Paul was saying was true and in line with the Bible. So how do you know if something's from God or not? Check your Bible. Every week you should be checking your Bible to see if what I say is true. I'm not offended by that. It's good and right. That's how we know. Those who line up with what the Bible says are true followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I realize some of us might be saying, you know, I'm, I'm trying to learn the Bible. Help me to understand what the Bible says. Well, there's a couple of ways that you can do that. One is that we have a statement of faith that is pretty lengthy. And it's got like a million Bible verses on it. And you could study that for 10 minutes every day for the next year and maybe get through it. Take that. Read the paragraphs about what we believe. Look up the scripture passages and just study that. Another way you can do this is if you haven't gone, come to the membership class. We're going we're to talk about some of these things where you can learn truth and actually understand what, what does God's word say so that we can get clarity on it. Because you, you don't need to conform your thoughts to a preacher. You need to conform your thoughts to God's word. Now, I realize that, that there's, a, there's like this gray area that we can say, okay, I, I know that I need to test the spirits. There's sometimes, I mean, maybe you've had this experience, there's sometimes you're in a conversation where you're like, you know what, I know that this isn't right, but I just don't know how. Ever been in that kind of a conversation? I remember years ago, again, being in Germany, and there's a student of ours who, who was caught up into a lot of this kind of thinking I didn't know my Bible well, and I knew that he was wrong. I just didn't know where. And it's interesting, in that moment, I began to feel nervous. I began to feel nervous that I was being duped in some way, or feel nervous that I would be duped by what he was saying. That's a real thing, because John shows us that it's a real thing. And so he gives us a step two. And the step two, after the test, the step two is to simply know the truth. The second step that we need to know is just the truth. Look at verse four. John just starts off, he says, little children. It's like, you could just hear the love that he has. You could just hear the love he has for this church. And he says, little children, you are from God. How does he know that? Because they're still in the church. They're still pursuing Jesus. Those we saw earlier in chapter 2 who wanted nothing to do with Jesus left the church. And he's saying, you are from God because you're still here. You're still desiring truth. And I know what God has done in you. Because notice what he says. He says, you have overcome the world. You are from God and have, over, have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What's John saying? I know that you're okay because you're still pursuing Jesus. And in pursuing Jesus, I know that you actually have believed in him, have trusted in him. I know what Jesus has done 
Paul will tell us in Philippians chapter 1 that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. It's not based upon me. And so he's saying, I know that Jesus has died for your sin. I know that he's risen from the dead. I know he's conquered all. He even says in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 55, Oh, death, where is your sting? It's almost like he's taunting death, you know, because the, the Bible says the wage of sin is death. And it's almost like because Jesus died and rose from the dead, now Paul is taunting death. What power do you have over us? You have none because our Savior Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and he gives new life. And now John is taking that theme, John is taking that truth and he's saying you are from God and so that is in you and because it's in you, you have overcome the world. You don't have to fear what others are teaching and fear being duped by that or fear being uh, succumbing to that. If you have Jesus Christ, you know that you've overcome the world. Why? Not because you're awesome. Not because you have so, uh, such smarts or beauty or whatever it is. It's because the one that's in you is greater than the one that's in the world. And that just reminds us what he told us last week, right? 1 John 3, 24. You know God's in you because the Holy Spirit of God is in you. Now John's saying, live a, live a confident life because you know the one who rose from the dead by the Holy Spirit now lives inside of you. So you don't need to live in fear. Just know the truth. So often, I think the reason we don't take steps of faith, we don't press in and do things outside of our comfort zone, is because we look at our ability, we look at our desire, we look at ourselves, and we say, nope, can't do it. Or worse, won't do it. And John's saying, no more fear. You've overcome. The Spirit of God is in you. Press in to that. If you've trusted and believed in Jesus, He's in you. Press in to that. And you've got incredible power, incredible ability to just trust in Him. And we know that because we know in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, we see God come on the scene and we see God giving a curse to Adam. We see God giving a curse to Eve. And then we see God coming to the serpent, to Satan. You remember what he says to Satan? He says, you're going to have an offspring and that woman is going to have an offspring. And the offspring of that woman is going to come over here to your offspring and is going to crush the snot out of you. You're going to strike his heel, but you're going to be finished. Church, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He crushes the tar out of sin, out of death, 
and out of Satan. And we know that to be true because in Revelation 20, we read that there's a future day in which Satan will be bound and he'll be thrown in the lake of fire forever. And Hebrews tells us in chapter 12 that we have a kingdom that is unshakable. So what does that mean? That means it doesn't matter the message that's out there. It doesn't matter all the things that are happening, the drama that's outside our walls. What matters is if we have a a belief and a trust in Jesus, we can be confident to live the Christian life. We can be confident to keep pressing in and to know no matter how dark it may get that we have a hope through it all. But it's a future hope. It's a hope now, but it's a future hope that will take place for all of eternity. And so what that should do for us is that should cause us to realize that so often the difficulties that we experience in life, uh, God is simply using that. He's using that to help us to know more of Him, to experience more of Him. Uh, how many of you have ever heard the story of Corey Timboom? So a few of us. Okay, so Corey Timboom was a uh, a Dutch woman. Kind of excited about that since I'm Dutch, but she's a Dutch woman who uh, who lived in Holland when the Nazis came in, and they her family was uh, hiding Jews from the Nazis. And eventually they came, they raided the, their house, and they sent Corey and her sister Betsy along with others to a concentration camp. And as they met, as they made it to the concentration camp, they were in a barracks. It was comfortable. They liked it. And then all of a sudden, one day, they were moved from that barracks to another one. And as they were moved to that barracks, it was like the worst situation you could think of. It was overcrowded by hundreds of women, like beyond max capacity. It smelled horrific. It had all of these little fleas that would just jump on you, bite you all all over. The worst situation you can think of. And in the middle of that, Corey and Betsy were doing a Bible study. And as they're doing this Bible study with the women, women are asking questions and and trying to, to seek any sort of hope. And yet, the longer they ministered, the more Corey's heart began to be uh, embittered, began to be frustrated over the fleas and over their situation. And the whole time, Betsy's encouraging Corey, hey, it's all right. Like, God is using this. No, he's not. God's using this. Well, how? How? God's using this. And one day, they started to think, We've been doing this Bible study for a long time. Why in the world have the guards not stopped us? Like, how in the world have the guards not come to the barracks and stopped us? And so they decided to ask one of the guards one day, well, why is it that you don't ever come around the barracks? You know what the guards' response was? Because there's fleas in the barracks, and we don't want to be around fleas. You see what God did in the middle of that situation, in the middle of something that feels overwhelming, in the middle of something that robs you of confidence, robs you of joy, robs you of contentment. In the middle of that, God brought something difficult because he was actually producing something greater. 
because the one that is in you is greater than any circumstance that you're involved in. John wants us to know that. Betsy had joy in the midst of that. John wants you and I to have that same joy as well. And that actually leads us to the third step that he then tells us, and that is the trust. He kind of tells us how we can have this joy. He shows us in the trust, and he says, you need to test the spirits. You need to know truth of God that, that even if you are duped a little bit, like God, God's got you, like just run back to him. But then you also need to, you also need to trust, see who people are trusting. Because he shows us two groups here. And look at the two groups that he shows us. He shows us in verse 5, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. He says that the, there's one group of people who speak on their own behalf. They speak out of selfish ambition. They speak out of their own desire. And people love it. People are gathered to it. You know, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4 that people will accumulate for themselves preachers who itch their ears. That it sounds good. We like it. It's new. So people gather. And John says that doesn't mean that it's truth. Because the world listens to those that they like not necessarily those that are true. And so John says that these are, these are essentially the counterfeit people. Don't, don't buy in to their lies. There's, there's a lot of catchy things that are out there today. And he's saying don't, don't buy into that. And we saw some of that this past year. It's interesting. Uh, I, I really don't want to get into a huge political debate, but we saw this with the Black Lives Matter movement. Their message is right, but the movement is wrong. Did you know that? The message is right. African American lives do matter, and we should care about that. We should care about any injustice that's happening. And yet, the movement on their website, the very foundation of the movement, said, was to eradicate or erode, rather, the foundation of traditional family structure. Husband, wife, kids. They're saying we care about humans, we care about African Americans, and the very foundation of what they were doing, they said one of their four goals was to erode traditional family structure. And the world gravitated towards the message because it was catchy, but we didn't look at what was behind that. And John says that's how the world operates. We gravitate towards a message. We get all excited. Yes, let's go for it. Let's do this. This is awesome. This is wonderful. And it's actually leading us away from the Lord. Then he shows us the second group. And we know this based on what they're trusting we see this in the second group, verse 6. He says, we are from God. Anyone who, in, in John, John, the apostles, anyone preaching the word of God, he says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. He's saying, you need to trust people 
who get you into the Bible, who point you back to the Bible, who love God, who explain God's Word to you. And if you listen to those kind of people, you can know that you know God and you can know others know God. And he says, whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Those who don't really want to hear the truth of God, don't really want to dig into His Word, don't really want to understand what His Word says, who would rather be about their own tradition than the truth of God's Word. That should kind of be a punch a little bit to our our gut that so often in churches we can be about our own church tradition more than we can about God's Word. John's saying, you know that you are in the camp of God when you love His Word, love His Savior, and run after Him. And so this morning, John is really wanting us to understand how do we decipher what is a counterfeit spirit and what is the Spirit of God at work. And he's saying the way in which you decipher the two is that you go to school. You go to the school of God's Word. And as you are in that school, you look in the face of Jesus Christ and in the face of the Father. And the closer you are to them, the more you're going to be able to decipher this is hokey or this is the Holy Spirit. And so church, I want to encourage you, impress you, be in God's word, seek after him, and make Jesus the center of your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth this morning. We thank you for, again, the word that challenges us, challenges in what we believe, challenges in what we think. Father, we thank you. that you're showing us ways in which we can get off base. So, Father, would you, um, would you convict us of the areas or the things that we're believing that just aren't true? Ways that we're operating our lives that aren't based on the truth of the gospel, based on Jesus Christ. Would you help us, Lord? Help us to see. Protect us. Protect us as a church, Lord. Paul said in Acts 20, that when he left, he knew that people would come from outside and inside and begin to lead people away from the truth of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would protect us from that. And God, if there's any person in here right now who wants to lead us away from truth, would you convict them and would you save them? Would you convict them and would you draw them to truth that they would want to lay down falsehood? Lord, we we are dependent upon you. Lord, would you be our good shepherd and protect us as your sheep, we pray. In your son's name, amen.